Welcome to the Littler Workplace Policy Institute podcast. Insider briefings on the latest legislative and regulatory developments affecting employers. Hello, I'm Betsy Camerata, an attorney with Littler Mendelssohn's Knowledge Management Group. Knowledge Management is a standalone group comprised of dozens of Littler lawyers, legal researchers, and technologists who support the firm and its clients by developing innovative ways to deliver legal services. I'm joined today by Corinne Jackson, Special Counsel of Workplace Policy and Analytics in Los Angeles, and Bruce Sarchet, a Littler shareholder in Sacramento. Bruce and Corinne both work with Littler's Workplace Policy Institute, or WPI. WPI is dedicated to making sure that policymakers hear the voice of employers as they consider workplace legislation and regulations. Well, thanks for that introduction, Betsy. Our work with WPI has a national scope, but Corinne and I also spend a lot of time tracking and translating developments here in our home state of California. And as our listeners probably already know, there's always something big brewing in California. In fact, just a few weeks ago, Governor Jerry Brown signed into law a jaw-dropping number of bills that pertain to labor and employment issues. Can you give us a sense of how many and the topics of those new laws? Well, there were more than 25 laws adopted that relate specifically to California workplaces. And the topics run the gamut, as they say. Some were industry-specific, such as a measure that extends wage and hour liability to customers of port drayage services, and a bill that mandates new anti-harassment training requirements for talent agencies. But many others apply more broadly. As you pointed out, Corinne, there are new training requirements unique to talent agencies, but California has also greatly expanded its anti-harassment training requirements to cover any employers with five or more employees. The old rule imposed that training duty on only much larger employers. Now, most of these new laws take effect next year. Is that right? That's correct. On January 1st, 2019, which is really right around the corner. So California employers don't have much time to review their policies, practices, and adjust them as needed. There are some very significant changes for employers to reckon with. Well, Corinne, what should we discuss today so that employers can start planning their compliance strategies? Well, spoiler alert, As the podcast title reveals, we'd like to focus on what employers need to know right now about changes to the law governing employee release and non-disclosure agreements. Yes, there actually were several bills adopted that affect what terms can be included and or enforced in agreements between employers and employees in California. Got it. Okay. Before we jump into the substance of those new laws, where is all this coming from? Why the focus on these types of agreements? Well, like the anti-harassment training requirements we briefly addressed earlier, these bills were really spurred by the Me Too movement, which highlighted how certain contractual terms may operate to prevent or intimidate sexual harassment victims from speaking publicly about their workplace conditions. So, in light of that criticism, Governor Brown signed three new bills attempting to limit the use of such agreements as they relate to prohibited harassment in the workplace. Well, Bruce, what's the first thing employers should know about this trifecta? Well, let's start with the most simple one, AB 3109. This potentially applies to any agreement 
between an employer and an employee. So that could be a settlement agreement. It could be an employment contract. It could be a severance agreement. Basically, any sort of agreement. Under this new law, a party to such an agreement cannot waive his or her right to testify about criminal conduct or sexual harassment in any administrative, legislative, or judicial proceeding. So employees cannot waive their right to testify about those topics. Does it matter what kind of testimony and which agreements are affected? Well, testimony can't be prohibited in three forums. Administrative, like our Department of Fair Employment and Housing. Legislative, so like testifying before a state Senate committee. Or judicial, in court. And more specifically, the law applies where the testimony has been required or requested pursuant to a court order, a subpoena, or a request from an administrative agency or a request from our state legislature. In addition, the testimony must be about the criminal or harassing conduct of the other party to the agreement or that party's agents or employees. So, for example, an employee cannot waive in a contract his or her right to testify about the sexually harassing behavior of a supervisor. As long as the testimony relates to the other party to the agreement concerns criminal or sexually harassing conduct and is requested by one of the enlisted authorities, the contract cannot prohibit that testimony. And as for which agreements are affected, I think it's all of them. Uh, AB 3109 explicitly states that parties can't waive their right to testify in a contract or settlement agreement. This restriction will apply to agreements entered into on or after January 1st, no matter what type of contract it is, including, as I said before, an employment contract, an arbitration agreement, a settlement agreement, severance agreement, and so on. What happens if an employer still has this kind of term in an agreement next year, though? Well, if it's an existing contract, the law shouldn't apply yet. It only applies to contracts signed on or after January 1st, 2019. But after that, Corinne? If the agreement was signed on or after January 1st, any such confidentiality clause becomes void and unenforceable. Now, the statute does not include any particular penalties to the employer, but the waiver will not be enforceable against an employee who testifies consistent with the new law. Okay, so AB 3109 addressed if and when agreements might restrict a party's right to testify in certain proceedings. What's next, Corinne? Well, employers also need to be aware of SB 820, which focuses on confidentiality clauses in settlement agreements. The law prohibits terms in a settlement agreement that prevent the disclosure of factual information relating to claims of sexual assault, sexual harassment, sex harassment or discrimination, or retaliation for filing a claim of sexual harassment. And it sounds like this law applies just to settlement agreements? Yes, it's a bit narrower than AB 3109 in that respect. And it only applies in the sexual harassment, sex discrimination, and retaliation context? Right again. The new law amends the Code of Civil Procedure for claims arising in that context, and it also covers court proceedings. SB 820 explains that in a civil lawsuit, the court cannot restrict the disclosure of such factual information. The judge simply cannot order that certain facts be kept secret, even if the parties might stipulate to that. Does the new protection apply only for disclosures that happen in court proceedings? Well, the law prohibits terms and settlement agreements that prohibit factual disclosures, quote, related to a claim 
filed in a civil action or a complaint filed in an administrative action. Okay, Corinne, pretend I am not a lawyer. What the heck does that mean? As far as we know, it means that people cannot be stopped by a term in a settlement agreement from disclosing facts related to these types of claims where the claims are filed in court or before an administrative agency. But you could interpret the law to mean that other factual disclosures could be prohibited. So, for example, a settlement agreement with a person who has not yet filed a claim in court or before an Equal Employment Opportunity Agency perhaps could require that the individual maintain confidentiality about his or her potential claims. A classic example of this would be a severance agreement and release of claims. The employer and employee agree to part ways, the employer provides extra severance pay, and the employee agrees to release claims. It seems as though SB 820 is narrow enough to allow for non-disclosure provisions in severance agreements for employees who have not yet filed any claim. Interesting. Now, are there any exceptions under the new law? Yes, uh, SB 820 includes two notable carve-outs. First, parties can agree to keep confidential the dollar amount paid to settle the claim. And second, if the claimant asks for protection of his or her identity, disclosure of that information, including any facts that could lead to the discovery of his or her identity, may also be prohibited. Although that second exception does not apply if a government agency or public official is a party to the settlement agreement. Now, presumably, this exception was needed because settlement agreements entered into by government agencies are public records. What if an employer violates this secret settlements law? As with AB 3109, this law nullifies any contractual terms that run afoul of the new protection. But the law does not specify any other penalties or consequences at this point. Bruce, there must be one more new law for us to learn about, so please tell us what's behind door number three. Uh, sure thing. Uh, we've talked about AB 3109, we've talked about SB 820, and we saved the potentially most challenging one for last, which is SB 1300. The bill is sweeping in its scope, and it's even been called an omnibus Me Too bill. It encompasses many different topics relating to sexual harassment, including a declaration of legislative intent about the standard of review to be used in evaluating sexual harassment claims. It also clarifies that employers can be held responsible for the harassment of employees, applicants, contractors, and unpaid interns or volunteers by non-employees, even if that harassing conduct is not sexual in nature. And remember all of that anti-harassment training we touched on earlier? Interestingly, SB 1300 encourages, but does not require, employers to provide something called bystander intervention training. Our listeners may be aware of this type of training from college campuses, for example, where it has been implemented to teach students of any gender to intervene or interrupt behaviors or activity in an attempt to prevent sexual violence. But for present purposes, let's dig deeper into the section of SB 1300 that concerns agreements with employees. Sure, SB 1300 makes it an unlawful employment practice under our Fair Employment and Housing Act here in California for employers to require certain restrictions on non-disclosure and release provisions in exchange for a bonus, a raise, 
or here's the probably the most important part as a condition of employment or continued employment. What restrictions are outlawed by SB 1300? There are two main prohibitions. First, employers cannot require people to sign a release of claim or right. Now, before your eyes glaze over, let's break that down. The statute defines a release of claim or right as a release that requires someone to admit that they don't have any claims under the California Fair Employment and Housing Act, or FEHA, against the employer. The definition includes releases that require employees to give up their right to sue or to file a complaint with various authorities, including a state agency, a prosecutor, the police, or a court. Will SB 1300 affect arbitration agreements? I think that one could read it that way. Based on the plain text of SB 1300, as of January 1st, employers will not be able to force employees to sign any agreement that waives their right to sue or file a charge under FIHA. To the extent that a mandatory arbitration agreement states otherwise, it would conflict with the statute. So, Corinne, you used two critical words there. You said the employer cannot force, and you also said mandatory arbitration agreement. If you read SB 1300 carefully, it says an employer may not require an employee to sign one of these types of agreement. So I think if the agreement is purely voluntary and it it says that within the four corners of the document, you probably don't have an SB 1300 problem. But this is gonna have to be carefully evaluated in the weeks and months ahead uh, because the statute, as I mentioned in my introductory remarks, is sweeping in its scope. Okay, so no required release of the FIHA claims in exchange for a bonus, a raise, or employment. Bruce, what's the other main prohibition that's found in SB 1300? Okay, an employer also cannot require an individual to sign a non-disparagement or other agreement that attempts to deny the right to disclose information about unlawful acts in the workplace. Well, that sounds similar to SB 820 that we discussed earlier. Are the laws different? Yes, they are, actually. Now, SB 1300 takes the core principles of SB 820 and expands those significantly. SB 820 deals with sexual harassment. SB 1300, which we're talking about now, addresses not only sexual harassment, but also any unlawful or potentially unlawful behavior in the workplace. Corinne, what else is different about SB 1300? Unlike the other two bills we've discussed, a violation of these release and non-disclosure provisions appears to be, by itself, an unlawful employment practice. In other words, the act of requiring someone to sign an agreement can be a violation of the law. Based on a plain reading of the statute, that mandatory execution of the agreement constitutes its own harm. Yes, the other two bills simply said that such language is void or unenforceable. SB 1300 does that, but goes one step further. It says requiring an employee to sign such an agreement is in itself an unlawful employment practice under FIHA. It's its own separate harm. What risks do employers face for violation of this new section of FIHA? 
Well, employers can be subject to an investigation by our Department of Fair Employment and Housing. We call that the DFEH. If that agency does not pursue litigation, then aggrieved individuals may elect to sue on their own. Courts can award all types of relief under FEHA, including injunctive relief. Are there any exceptions to the law's prohibitions on release and non-disclosure provisions? Yes, there is one definite exclusion. SB 1300 does not apply to a negotiated settlement agreement to resolve an underlying claim that has been filed by an employee in court before an administrative agency, alternative dispute resolution forum, or through an employer's internal complaint process. Okay, okay, let me get this right. SB 820 applied only to settlement agreements, but SB 1300 excludes them? Yeah, it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. SB 820 prohibits terms in settlement agreements that bar people from disclosing the facts surrounding sexual harassment claims. But SB 1300 focuses specifically on FEHA claims and mandatory releases. Now, one way to think about it is that SB 1300 shows the legislature's concern for agreements entered into at the beginning of or during the employment relationship, while SB 820 is more concerned with restrictions included in settlement agreements executed in the context of a harassment claim. And when SB 1300 says that it does not apply to a negotiated settlement agreement, It is referring to an agreement that is, as defined, voluntary, deliberate, and informed, and that provides valuable consideration to the employee. And the definition of a negotiated settlement agreement also requires that the employee will have had an opportunity to consult with a lawyer. Bruce and Corinne, thanks so much for this in-depth look at these new laws. It's a lot to take in. What should employers be doing to prepare for the January 1 effective date? Well, obviously, employers should review all of their agreements to make sure there are no conflicts with the restrictions we've described. So we're talking about employment contracts, arbitration agreements, release agreements, and non-disclosure and confidentiality provisions in any type of employment contract. Any provision attempting to restrict testimony or factual disclosures should be considered a red flag for further review. Yeah, I think a lot of our uh, clients that we work with have a boilerplate severance agreement, for example. Well, those severance agreements need to be taken out and we need to look at those very carefully because any of those that are signed or negotiated after January 1st may need some changes to encompass these restrictions on releases of claims. I think you need to pay special attention to all employment-related releases and other waivers as well. should really look closely here because releases sometimes exist in places you wouldn't think of at first. These uh, so-called love contracts, for example. Oh, geez, dare I ask? Well, employers sometimes ask employees to sign a love contract if the employees have consensually started a romantic relationship in the workplace. These contracts typically ask the employees to acknowledge that they are dating voluntarily and that no unlawful behavior has occurred. Given those admissions, the employees release potential claims against the employer. The contract protects the employer if the relationship, unfortunately, goes south. Uh, That makes sense. But I can see how a love contract could theoretically violate SB 1300 if it covers FIHA claims. That's right. 
so we've got two months. The window is here. It's going to give employers added incentive to assess any pending complaints and investigations. In other words, if you've got something right now that you might want to seek a release of claims for, if you do it in 2018, you are going to be able to avoid some of these new restrictions. The prohibitions of AB 3109 and SB 820 do not apply retroactively, so contracts entered into during 2018 are not bound by those new laws. If an employer would prefer to have more freedom with its contractual terms, it might consider settling pending matters before January 1st, where appropriate. Notably, however, there's a difference between AB 3109 and SB 820 and SB 1300, these three new laws we've been talking about. AB 3109 and SB 820 specifically say within the terms of the new law, this applies only to agreements signed on or after January 1st, 2019. However, SB 1300 doesn't contain that language. It doesn't become effective until January 1st, but it doesn't say that it applies only to agreements signed on or after January 1st. Do you think that matters, Bruce? Well, it might. Uh, SB 820 and AB 3109 both contain this specific language. So the question of whether or not any statute can be given retroactive effect is a really complicated one. It uh, often requires appellate court guidance. So I think we're going to have to stay tuned to see how the issue of potential application of SB 1300 turns out. Thank you both again for these insights, and many thanks to our listeners as well. But I'm concerned. We have three lawyers on this podcast, and I haven't heard many disclaimers. Yeah, we've had a couple of them in there, but let's make sure that we're uh, adequately covered here. I'll oblige there. These laws are brand new and untested. We've observed over the years that once courts start interpreting new laws, things could pop up which even the most brilliant legal minds didn't see at first. So employers are advised to consult with competent counsel before signing agreements with employees which might implicate any of the new restrictions which we have just discussed. And we will continue to monitor any further legislative developments in this area as well as any enlightening cases. So thanks, Betsy and Corinne. And to those of you listening, please stay tuned to Littler's Workplace Policy Institute for further updates and information regarding state and local workplace regulatory and legislative developments. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.